Welcome to the Foul Play Podcast, coming to you from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, we're hosted by myself, John Jansen, Andrew Wright, and Josh Thornton. We are Atlanta's premier legacy podcast. We are a competitive group of uh, gentlemen who like to travel the country and play legacy. And uh, this is the first podcast, and we kind of want to go and tell you about ourselves. So, uh, Josh, why don't you uh, go ahead and introduce yourself to the cast and uh, to the rest of our listeners. Oh, Absolutely. Uh, so, Joshua Thornton, uh, local goblin player, maybe not the most infamous around here these days, or getting the most uh, pro points, but uh, play Legacy quite a bit. I've uh, been involved in the community probably the last two years, two and a half years, and uh, I guess the transition of my play in the Legacy uh, was pretty abrupt from the, the kitchen table straight into it. Um, but that's about it for me right now. Uh, Andrew? My name is Andrew from Atlanta. I started playing around 4th edition and Ice Age. I bought a bunch of cards around then, didn't know what the hell to do with them. Ended up getting ripped off from all my good stuff. Played, I guess, casually for a while until, I guess, early 2000s. And got rid of my cards and got into punk rock and thought that I couldn't play Magic if I wanted to ever get laid. So, took a 10-year hiatus. <laughs> <laughs> took a 10-year hiatus, eventually got sucked back into the game, as people tend to do. And um, I didn't know about Eternal Formats way back when, so uh, luckily my friend got me into Legacy from the get-go so that I didn't have to uh, worry about rotating format. So, here I am, started playing again in 2010. Uh, it's been a pretty good seven years so far. Oh, Yeah. And uh, my name is John Jansen. I, uh, I don't live quite in Atlanta. I live up in the woods north of Atlanta. Uh, I started playing in, uh, I don't know, 99-2000 Invasion era. Played all the way through Ravnica as a child. Um, quit when I hit high school. Kind of nerdy. And I uh, came back about Avacyn Restored. And I played a little standard, grinded a little bit, played a little modern when it came out. But uh, really hopped onto Legacy after I met... Uh, Met Andrew Schneider at, uh, at Raven's Nest playing the Blue Red Delver deck he's famous for. And then kind of gravitated toward the, the the more competitive side and the, the more, you know, the older group of guys like uh, Super Games. And I've basically been playing Legacy pretty much nonstop uh, through now. I play a little bit of Modern and very little Standard only for large Invitational type events. But... I'm pretty much just the only one to play Legacy if possible. So, Not to interject too much, but expanding a little bit on that. Um, I know everyone gets into Magic in a lot of different ways. Uh, I mean, specifically for me, Kitchen Table Magic, did anyone else participate in that? Or did everyone go straight to, like, Friday Night Magic? Because I don't know if I've still, like, maybe six or seven years in the game, I don't know if I've ever participated in Friday Night Magic. Uh, I'll start off. I... I started at a uh, at kind of kitchen table. My uh, cousins, who are quite a bit older than me, played since Alpha Beta. They they are very old school players, and uh, we'd visit them for Christmas, and they'd introduce me to the game one year. I don't know. It had to be probably around Visions, and uh, I didn't really catch on until I was a little bit older. But every time we'd go visit them, they'd pull cards out and they'd kind of teach me how to play. And once once I got the bug of 
of the competitive side of it, you know, as 9, 10, 11, 12, Invasion came out, and, you know, I hit straight to F&M's, uh, to pre-releases if I was able to go. I, I fueled my magic with uh, mowing the yard and doing dishes and all that stuff for my dad, so he would drive me to magic. Uh, and then once, like I said, once high school hit, I kind of quit, but now the majority of my time is is, you know, researching magic, learning, playing, and traveling with my friends. I don't know. Andrew, did you hit the did you hit the casual scene or were you into F and M style? Well, let's see. Back when I used to play before I got into Legacy, I played pretty casually, just went over to our neighbor's house and we played with no sleeves and it was just Lord of the Pit versus uh I don't know uh, what's that big uh, Kraken? Was it Polar Kraken? Polar Kraken from Ice Age. <laughs> yeah. We didn't. I mean, we just saw like a huge power and toughness, and that was what we deemed as good cards. We didn't know about combos or strategy. Anyways, uh, eventually graduated to playing standard. Uh, I used to go up to a shop every Sunday all day. My mom dropped me off as soon as they opened and picked me up as soon as uh, once they closed, and I, I would play standard up there for a while. That was in the days of uh, Saga Block. So I always like to play, like, uh, I wasn't playing the broken spells. I was playing, like, um, Sapperling, Burst, and Fires. You know that, st- that standard, Fires of Yavimaya? I don't know if you all yeah, remember that, that or not. Oh, yeah. Oh, that yeah. was in Invasion and uh, uh, Mask Block. Yeah, but before that was Saga Block, correct? Yes, yes. Before, before Invasion, Mask, it was Saga. Or a good uh, Type 2. But anyways, so that was my extent at standard. And then... Um, I played in a JSS, a Junior Super Series, when I was 16, and I got runner-up to it. So that was that was like when I kind of got into competitive magic, and my parents actually drove me down to Florida for the JSS Championship, which I <clears throat> failed miserably at, but because uh, I was playing red green, and that was when Psychotog was big, and uh, I just wasn't prepared to beat that. But I guess I, I could say that as soon as I could understand um, strategy and competitive magic, I always wanted to do what everyone else wasn't doing. Uh, you know, just as an example here, like Psychotog was the winningest strategy and I refused to play it. I wanted to beat, beat it some other way. So that kind of still stands today. Like I know that all of us don't like to play your, your standard top eight deck. We like to add our own little tweaks to it or play like the tier two or tier three decks. So that, I guess that um, that kind of mentality has stuck with me since then yeah and it's kind of drawn us all together because we all have similar ways we like to play and and similar ideas of how we want to beat a metagame certainly now do we think that i think a lot of us also enjoy prison so you know obviously being atlanta chalice town how much of it is how much are we influenced by the actual surrounding area of this being chalice town and wanting to you know kind of continue that reputation do we all actually enjoy that play style? And not just Chalice in general, but maybe like Prison or Heavy Control Locks or things of that nature. Like not many of us are like Delver players by heart. I think that the the Chalice uh, title of Atlanta is uh, it's a little bit overdrawn right now. Like I know for a fact that that certain players would bring these Chalice decks because of the amount of, of Delver. You know, they wanted to, uh, I don't want to say push people out, but they wanted to punish the guys that would just show up to play legacy because they saw like the top eight list. You know what I mean? They, they didn't feel like they were, I don't know, the, the hardcore type player. I think our metagame now is actually settled out quite a bit. You know, there's not a lot of, you know, prison players in the area except for large events. 
And I think a lot of us that maybe originated with prison, I know this is at least maybe speaking for myself, originating with prison uh, really out of uh, pricing, really, at that point as well, uh, not owning all the dual lands, eventually, like, kind of driving it to explore some other avenues, um, attempting, you know, obviously going through, picking up the blue duels, trying new decks, even if I only stick with it for a month or two. But, uh, I mean, ultimately, you know, trying to, myself at least, I enjoy a prison element, but trying to also break out of it as well as, you know, I want to enjoy other interactions of the game. I'm with you too. I've, I've played almost every legacy deck and I don't know, once I was introduced to a prison strategy or to Chalice of the Void decks, there was just no turning back for me. There's always been either a Chalice or Blood Moon deck in my case at all times, probably in the past seven years. I just get a real satisfaction from turn one Blood Mooning somebody or preventing somebody from casting all their one drop spells. Like, it's kind of like uh, you're driving on the interstate, and there's some dickhead weaving lanes, and, like, you, you, just, you, just, you, just, you just fill a little gap and you block them. You know, you block them from going fast and being an asshole. So <laughs> that's basically like what happens when I slam my chalice down. I block you from casting your stupid-ass one-drop spells you feel so entitled to cast. And then when I land my blood moon, you get all butt-hurt because... You know, you think Legacy is this format where you're supposed to be allowed to have all these multicolored lands, you know? I think, uh, I don't know, people should not be so greedy in Legacy. They should always be aware of those strategies, and as long as people are greedy, I'll continue to play Prison. Well, like, uh, I think the overall problem with Prison is just, you know, consistency. You can speak to that. I've, I know you've played it at large events. Yeah. Like, the same thing, you know, Sean or anybody will say, the odds of you getting keepable hands over 15 rounds and not mulliganing to oblivion, you know, at least three or four of those to kick you out of top eight. It's just insane. You know, and I think that's, that's the primary reason a lot of these people like to play these blue strategies or whatever the blue stew is because the consistency and being able to draw whatever you want, whenever you want it. And I'm with you. I like, I like to lock people out, but I've also come to the point of, if I ever want to win, I know I've got to have a, a good old brainstorm in my deck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's not entirely true. Like, there, there are strategies like Eldrazi or Black Red Reanimator. And if people really dedicate themselves to those strategies, they can do well, as you can see from top eights, you know, Dredge or whatever else. Um, but I, I agree to your sentiment that brainstorm does help uh, increase uh, consistency in decks and... You know, I've played a lot of Prison, and sometimes it's just so frustrating that, you know, you don't have Brainstorm in the deck. So, lately I've kind of been thinking about playing a blue deck just to avoid that kind of frustration right now. Plus, I mean, we're also seeing it from the angle of being the Prison player, where, you know, we get to play the Prison versus the Temple Delver player, the, the Combo Storm player, where, you know, you land the child someone, you lock them out. You're not seeing the games where these people are also keeping, you know, like you were saying, keepable hands nearly every game, and they're not playing against a Chalice player where they are able and entitled to play those one-drop spells just to give maximum consistency. So from the like, prison side of things, it looks terrible, besides the fact of, like, you know, if you can't lock them out. Did you see Did you see there was a, one of our locals put in the, the Grixis Delver deck into, like, a random hand generator and posted five yes. random hands? And every single one of those hands was a keeper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put a random chalice deck in a random five hands, only two or three of them are going to be a keeper. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I'm just getting sick and tired of seeing that stupid Grixis Delver deck in top eights. 
Well, speaking of Grixis Delver, uh, I know Josh showed up on Saturday to hang out, but we had a SCG team event in Atlanta this last weekend, as well as uh, a corresponding classic. And uh, I, I actually played both events. Uh, and as you were saying, there is an awful lot of Grixis Delver in the metagame. And I think that's just that uh, Miracle players... Uh, needed the next best deck to, to Barnacle to. All right. Well, since you brought it up, John, tell us about your team and then give a little recap of your experience in the, in the Team Trios event. Uh, the Team Trios event, I've, I think I'm the only one who've played in one other chat, but they, they are super fun. Uh, even if you didn't really have a team, you didn't know. So my team was... My standard player was Danny Snyder. He's a local. He's only been Magic for about a year. And my modern player was uh, a new guy we actually just randomly met on the internet. Uh, first time I met him was at the event. His name was uh, Antonio Ennis. And he's a moto grinder poker player. You know, just your average average gamer. Um, we didn't do so hot. Uh, it was more or less our decks didn't didn't really do what we wanted to do. But even being three random people that didn't know each other, we had a very good time. Uh, I went into the event playing a uh, the blue-white control deck that I played at the last monthly do a top eight, uh, which for the listeners who don't know was uh, blue-white control, Supreme Verdicts, uh, no Stoneforge Mystic, just four Snapcaster Mages and a Torrential Gearhulk, some Jaces, and I really wanted to highlight the card. Uh, what is it? Tragic Lesson. Two and a blue, instant. Draw two cards and then discard a card unless you return a land. So I, I took a, basically the same list I played in the monthly. And uh, my record was abysmal. I hit the worst possible matches. And I ended up playing, out of the six rounds we played, I played against friends, I think, two of the six rounds in Legacy. Which is crazy for, you know, 200, 250 teams in the event to play two locals, you know, out of six rounds. So we didn't do too hot, but we had a very good time. And okay. if you're just looking to go play Magic with your friends, uh, this is the event. It's definitely not an event if you're hunting EV. Uh, I can speak that James Hames and his team, day two, and they got 13th place. It was $150 for them to enter the event. They only got $300 back. So they spent over 20 hours playing Magic for $50. Wow. So if you're going to have fun, I, I, I say go have fun, but this is not your uh, hashtag EV tournament to play in. Yeah, I mean, we all know that Magic is not your place to make money. You know, obviously, it's kind of a, a labor of love. Well, I, for most players, I agree with that. But if you if you start looking at the players who consistently do well in these events, they're the same players. Um, for example, the winning team legacy player was a guy named Jody Keith. He's from New Orleans. He is a legacy lands player. He has done very well in the open series and he just won GP Vegas. Uh, and he actually put himself on, I think was the best team there with, uh, two, two big name grinders. So it's not a full-time job, but if you're good, you can definitely make it worth your time. To interject here, he was also on lands. I'm not diminishing his value, but I mean, this is um, 
Seems to be a fantastic fucking time to be on the lands, to be a land pilot. So in in top eight of this team event, there was three lands players. The legacy, the finals, was a lands mirror. (laughs) This deck, uh, I I was actually overhearing him and uh, a local uh, Chris Mahaffey and some other guys. Some people are are touting lands actually the best deck right now. And I'm inclined to believe it not only from the skill level of the players playing it, but it's just consistently, consistently doing well. Certainly. Not to discount this guy's finish, but I believe he got third place at GP Vegas, not not the winner. I thought he won. No, it was a Grixis Delver list. Oh, whatever. <laughs> sure. But I, I don't know. I, would I never, thought he won. I would never uh, agree that any one deck is the best deck in the format because it's so cyclical. Uh, however, with the current state of, of things, I would say lands is very well placed. But just you know, it's just a matter of weeks before everyone jumps on that bandwagon, and then Storm comes back in, into the top tier. You know, so I don't know. Lands is a decent choice. However, it's kind of a boring deck to play, to be honest. I'm gonna be devil's advocate here as well. I'm gonna try to stick over the Greg Stover decks. Besides having like. Yeah, the lands matchup is really rough. I mean, the deck has a fairly good 50-50 average. I mean, it doesn't absolutely crush a lot of decks, but it certainly doesn't have, like, a terrible, like, game against most decks either. Uh, Again, obviously, like, lands would be an exception. Um, Maybe some prison elements, but that's not entirely true either. I played... uh, We'll go over my my classic I played in. But I played Grixis Internet, copy, paste, three times. And I 2-0-2-0-1-2. My one loss to that deck was a guy that top aided because he was very good at it. Mm-hmm. I think, just as every other every other Delver deck you play, that the better pilots are obviously going to do well. But you're saying that lands is the the you know the rise of lands. I think the problem with lands is it it is can be a budget uh, you know a very expensive deck. I think like a stock internet lens deck is like three thousand dollars. Because a lot of cards don't really flow over to what you know most of these people play. So do you think over like the next year, considering the amount and of expense it's going to be to get in the lands, do you think we're just going to have like the same lands players making top eight, beating up the Grixis Delver players along the way, considering the price barrier? I I think the problem with lands is the is the price and the the fact that a lot of cards don't move between decks, right? Like. What cards in that deck you can play in anything else other than like another loam strategy? Yeah, uh, and I don't think a lot of people are going to hop onto it because it is, it is, it is not an easy deck to play proficiently. You know, like Andrew said, it can be boring once you figure, once you get the you know the majority of the plays down. But I have definitely beat mediocre lands players and got crushed by you know supreme lands players. I just don't ever think that deck will be the uh, the the number one most played deck. People that pick it up, it takes such a long time for you, you to get good. I read a little interview with this dude Jody, and uh, I, I think he posted actually to the to Star City. He posted an article. And yeah, yeah. He's, he's been playing the deck for like I don't know seven or or more years. Like it takes a long time to get good with this deck. Yeah, and and I think a lot of people that that watch and play it are gonna, you know, oh, I'm gonna pick that up for this next GP. They're gonna go play, give their money away, and they're gonna be discouraged. Whereas if they just picked up Grixis Delver, they're natural. If they're naturally a good Magic player, 
then they would get more wins with it, you know? Yeah. I think that's the strength of these blue decks. Is it just nat- it, it plays in a natural way that everyone plays Magic. Lands isn't really Magic the Gathering. Kind of the same way Dredge isn't, you know? Certainly. So. I mean, you're incorporating both elements into the deck as well. Yeah. So, but like you said, I think in that same interview, he's talking about you would play a, a legacy deck with four Ancestral Recall, four Demonic Tutors, and and four Yawgmoth's Bargains, and that's exactly what that deck has. You know what I mean? Have you guys played the deck before? I borrowed it from Chris Langston before I moved to, to good old California, and I, it was fine. Like you said, it was pretty boring, but uh, it was a puzzle. You know, it felt it felt interesting every game I played. Yeah. Uh, I have not played the deck. Uh, only only close land iteration has been four color loam for me. So, Which is hardly lands to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The most so I'm gonna go over the, the top eight of this event of the of the team event. Now remember there was only twenty four teams in day two, and there's like two hundred and fifty in day one. So this isn't really a, uh you know, say this deck is great as much as the players put themselves with teams that are great. Right. So it's uh, Lands, Lands, Grixis Delver, Burn, Grixis Delver, Blue White Red Stoneblade, Grixis Delver, Lands. The standouts, which are the weirds, I would say would be Burn and uh, Blue White Red Stoneblade. As you know, there's uh, been a resurgence in Stoneblade since Miracles was banned, but it really hasn't. Uh, I haven't really seen the numbers come out to to prove that. Yeah. So the the most I don't know. Did you guys look at any of the list or any of the top uh, twenty four lists? Yeah, I took a glance at them. I saw there's <clears throat> there was one build of lands that played Burning Wish. Yeah, it was that uh, Kenan Haas, or the, there's another guy. It was a Jun Depths guy. Okay. Who Kenan Haas actually won an open in twenty fourteen with the deck. So he's like the has a Nether Spirit, then Tomb package for Loam and all that, and he ended up I think top twelveing or top whatever top twenty four, and uh, I found that pretty interesting. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, in eighth place, David Long, which I think he used to live in Atlanta at one point. Um, he played Burning Wish in his Lands deck. Oh, I missed that because I, I just saw Lands. Yeah. I didn't actually look at it. Yeah. Can we also make a note how terrible SCG is naming the deck list recently? Well, I mean, it's ripe with like. So this this top eight has eight eight teams with three different players, uh, and it, it's just one of those things that you do so many deck lists. They I think they whoever does them just kind of looks at it and says, "Oh, we're gonna put that in lands." They don't make anything interesting or new, you know. It's uh, it, they try to make it as streamlined as possible because they do have to do a lot of deck lists. Now I'm not excusing that. But it, maybe it's a maybe it's a reason why we're not happy with the deck list. But they do a lot. Certainly, I mean, I know like uh, there was uh, just uh, blue red delver being uh, listed as like Grixis delver and things like that, things of yeah, that, that nature. I mean, it's just like if you're doing top sixteen, just do it right, you know. I don't know. I'm just happy we're getting deck lists. That's all. I you know I don't care yeah. if they just don't put a name as long as I get to look and figure things out. No. What seems pretty exciting to me about the team is, and I've yet to actually participate in any of that yet, uh, would be the actual introduction of other people into the legacy format. So we're all kind of like 
self-contained. We don't have many new people jumping into the legacy format. When we do, we yeah. know we try to be welcoming uh, in Atlanta, uh, you know, as welcoming as we can get. <laughs> but yeah. but um, it's pretty cool to see, like, hey, showcasing to, like, friends, people who aren't necessarily involved in legacy, to at least, like, table watch it uh, by the sidelines and actually, like, see the format. And, I mean, that's pretty exciting. I can I can tell you since I've played in two of these team events, uh, there are let's say there's 250, 250 teams in this thing. There might have been forty five fifty like dedicated legacy players, mm-hmm. but some of these teams scraped the bottom of the barrel for their members of their team. Uh, I played against blue or black red reanimator, I think twice. That was using shocklands. And my opponent, <laughs> missed, my, yeah, my opponent missed multiple Sire of Insanity triggers, missed multiple Chancellor triggers, and I lost to Shocklands. So, you know, so, and that's what I'm saying is like the True. good team, the good teams, from what I saw, seemed to pick good legacy play, good players, which makes sense, right? Mm. So I. I like I, I would, it's fun to shit talk them, but what I'm going at is like I'd still be welcoming and kind of excited to see like yeah you're on fucking Blackwood Reanimator with Shocklands yada yada you don't know what the fuck you're doing you're aping out and drawing 14 cards, but on the flip side, they're jumping into the legacy scene. Sure, I, I mean I don't. For me, when I'm playing a competitive event, I don't actually care. I'm there to win. So you know, and it's whatever. I I didn't really shit talk a lot of people. I, I mean, I had to get up and walk away from the table after I lost the first guy playing Shocklands or Reanimator because he just didn't know what he was doing. But he beat me, so, you know, scoreboard, I lost. Yeah, that seems like one of those decks where you'd probably just want to ask anyone if you can borrow some Badlands because when you're casting Reanimate on, <laughs> you know, big big fatties, like, it hurts your life total pretty well. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of, uh, uh, do you guys look at the... Did you look at look at any of the classic results? Yeah. Yes. Did you see yeah. our our friend Zach Coke won? Yeah. Oh yes. So he was he was super excited. Um, even you know between him, uh, I'm sure you guys saw Evan also top aided. I saw that. Mm-hmm. Which you know like uh, whatever we've had our disagreements me and him, but when I was there, I was once he told me he was X one going into the last two rounds. I was his number one cheerleader because he has he's played that depth deck a lot. And it's about time that, you know, he got rewarded for playing that pile so long. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Zach, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, on the note of Zach playing, uh, so on and off I'll go into playing some, uh, as uh, SCG would call it, Berserk Poison. Uh, and, you know, success at times, not as much success, obviously, as Zach, not nearly. But what I'm noticing, which is interesting about his list that I wanted to talk about very briefly, was he main-decked Viridian Corruptor. So I'm wondering if that's like something that he's trying to meta for coming into. And he's running the main board Green Sun Zenith, which is not completely unusual. But the Corruptor is pretty interesting. For uh, Is that something where the Atlanta prison mentality you know, exceeds expectations of like, oh, I'm going to Atlanta, I need to be packing for? Or is, this, is the Corruptor, I don't know. Or do we have thoughts on this? I think personally, uh, from watching Infect playing a lot, that Grixis Delver is probably one of your tougher matchups. They have infinite removal and blockers. I think by adding the Corruptor 
and the green sun, it gives him additional ways to find threats and as well answers uh, things like obviously Chalice or, or whatnot. But Death and Taxes is a very popular deck right now, as well as most Stoneforge things or strategies. And even some of these Leopold bug piles are incorporating main deck GTAs. And I'm sure, as you know, GTA is one of the best cards you can possibly have on board versus these, you know, one ones that I want to pump up with crappy giant growth spells. Absolutely. So I, I think it's just an additional threat as well as utility. And with a green sun, I, I think I think I like it a lot. And I I'm by no means an expert at uh, Chimp Fact, but you know, he he has been playing this deck for a long time. He has been true to it, and I, I you know, pretty good finally for him to get it. Absolutely. And it's also, it's a green sun without a dried arbor. I've seen lists that when you are running the green sun, you're typically having a dried arbor in your land base, but here, not not at all. I don't know. Uh, it'd be interesting to talk to Zach about that. Yeah. So. Um, and then... The second place is the one that seems to, that would be interesting to cover as well. Oh, uh, this... You were talking about Shocklands making it a break into the format. So I, I actually played a very similar list. So I know this guy, I don't know him, but uh, he, Justin Purnell, I believe, works for Star City in some, I don't know, capacity. He's actually one of Anthony Avatolo's friends. Uh, so this deck is actually pretty sweet. Uh, if, if you guys aren't familiar, it is a, uh, a bug death shadows list. Similar to a modern pile of crap deck. Uh, it has uh, four shadows, four shamans, and four delvers, and two Gurmags as the suite of threats. And, you know, the Thoughtseize Ponder, Gitaxian Probe. But it's actually playing two Dismembers and two Snuffouts. Uh, some of you younger listeners to our cast may not know what the card cast out is. Uh, Andrew, you remember this one, right? Snuffout? Yeah. Yeah, it's oh, yeah. one of those alternative, alternative casting cost spells. It says yeah. you, it's it's converted mana cost is four. It's black and three, and it says if you control a swamp, you can pay four life rather than cast it, and destroy target non-black creature. It can't be regenerated. So I imagine this is this and dismember are used, um, you know, at instant speed most of the time to fluctuate the the uh, power and toughness of your death shadow. How often uh, is the inclusion of snuff out better than just running a full board of members? Well, some things are bigger than five fives. Certainly, but the non-black part is going to be a bit like your non-black isn't hitting. So, how many things are bigger than five fives that are typically not going to be in the black realm? Like, going to be your gristle brand. Uh, I mean, and what else? Carmo Dirt, Carmogoyf Knight. Um, what else is there? Isn't there usually, also? Isn't there usually, there's no street wraith in this deck, is it? I mean, is there a solidified build of? Uh, Legacy Death Shadow, or are people still figuring it out? I, I don't believe there is, but I actually played against another gentleman playing Death Shadow, and when we get to my uh, micro-tournament report, whenever we get there, uh, I'll, I'll speak to that. But I think the power of these decks is just it has so many threats. It has Delver, Death Shadow, and Gurmag Angler. It's a bunch of fours, and if you look at it, Josh, it only has four removal spells. Judas member two snuff out, but it has four thought seized and four days. And uh, I actually lost 
to uh, getting Days play Shockland kill you. Days pick up my Watery Grave, play it again for two damage, make my Death Shadow big, kill you. It was pretty pretty disgusting. Hmm. <laughs> I'm a big fan of this ceremonious rejection. Someone doesn't want uh, a chalices or prison pieces hitting the board. It, uh, it also hits uh, Eldrazi. Yes, absolutely. I know that this deck, like a Death Shadow deck, is doing really well in modern right now, but I, I kind of have a tendency to chalk this up to like a strategy that is just not going to last very long. I don't know if I could be wrong, but it seems like uh, people tried to pour it over Splinter Twin at one point, and it top-aided like a big event in Legacy. And then, um, what else is there from like that are ports over? Oh, like uh, Retreat to Coral Home came out, and people were top-aiding with Bant Nightless with Retreat, and then it went away. Like, will Death Shadow legacy decks go away, or are people still going to try and make it work? Uh, I think that I think you're you're looking at it as a Death Shadow deck. It, this is actually just a super efficient Delver deck, right? Yeah. Like this is everything Delver wants, and they're just using Death Shadow as an additional threat. So, uh, go you know we'll use Modern as an analog here, but if you looked at the original list that they started doing well with. They were like these really um, hyper make my death shadow really good type things. But as they grew, it became more of the fact that death shadow in a natural game of Magic the Gathering, your life total is going to go low. And with the with the ability to control that with something like, you know, counter magic or discard or whatever, it gives you a lot more control of the game. And yes, it is dangerous in a format of like uh, like Legacy for that. But if you are a competent player, which I know this gentleman is, then you you basically can get a one mana five five for free, with almost no downside. And and the fact that it functions like a, a Delver deck just helps it beat all these derpy combo decks too, you know. And with. Four attacks and probing four thoughtsies. Nothing should be really coming out of left field that's going to surprise you. I mean, also if you know the format as well. But I mean, you're going to have full knowledge on you know what their approximate game plan and what's in their hand. So you shouldn't be walking into too many problematic yeah. spells. I mean, and if you do, I mean, you have the same counter magic suite as all tempo decks do. You you give a good Delver deck a turn one probe, and you give a good player that information, their chances of winning are very high. You know, so I don't know. I, I, I don't I'm not going to say this deck is going to take over legacy, but I think it is definitely something that is interesting to come out uh, of this event and the MTGO results. Sure, I agree. OK, so scanning the rest of the top 16 for that event, we have some more land, some storm, Grixis Delver, Sneak and Show, uh, Colorless Eldrazi, a Blue Red Delver, and a Red Black Reanimator. Those are the those are the different archetypes. Oh, and the Depths deck that we've already mentioned. The, um, so it's, I, I'd say there's a good bit of diversity. The only non-brainstorm decks are Lands and Eldrazi, and the one Red Black Reanimator. Yeah, um, I can tell you. Sneak Show appeared to do well. well I, I, I can <laughs> I can tell you our our local local comrade. Sir Joshua Hand uh, borrowed Sneakin' Ape from Matt Webster because uh, apparently he went on a downward spiral of anger one night and said, screw it, I'm playing show until this event. Someone build it for me. And uh, after reading his uh, his tournament report on the source, 
and watching him play, it, it is actually a pretty simple deck to play, and his opponents made a lot of misplays. Yeah, Reading through that list, it sounded like people were just like, <laughs> had lethal on board to swing, and they just chose not to swing. Oh, multiple times. <laughs> multiple times people had lethal on him and just chose not to kill him. Do you think he enjoyed playing the deck? Oh, no. I, I rode with him there, and then I rode with him home. He absolutely hated it, but he, you know, he 7-2 or 6-2 well, made $150 credit never playing the deck before. Just sat down, didn't know the lines, and just cast show and tell and put in giant stupid creatures. Yeah. For anyone who who uh, live in, lives in the southeast southeastern U.S. and you run into Josh, make sure to give him a little couple of jabs for playing sneak and show after all the shit he's ever talked on the deck. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he wasn't happy about having to play it, but, you know, he, he kind of wanted to do well at this event. He didn't have to play anything. He chose to play this deck. Yeah, he, he wanted to, he wanted to do well, so, and good for him for figuring out how to you know draw seven cards. So whatever. Uh, I <laughs> I ended up playing in the in this in the set event, and I played uh, blue red Delver. Uh, not really the same list that I'm sure you guys have seen popping up, like the ones that played the uh, Storm Chaser Mage. And the uh, the Bedlam Reveler card. So it wasn't a blue red, blue red prowess deck. No, it, it it was. It only had four cards with the term prowess on it. Okay. Uh, it was it was very very similar to uh, Andrew Schneider's old list from back in the day, where you know where he was winning all those opens with it. Um, basic list was you know four Delver, four Brainstorm, four Swift Spear, and Grim Lava Mancer, one and three Snapcaster Mages. I played zero dazes, and my only counter spells were two for uh, two spell pierce for force of will. I had the full suite of chain lightnings and lightning bolts, with uh, one fire and ice and three price of progress. And I went. I also went up to eighteen lands. I, I believe that the whatever the list that is seeing a lot of play now is on like sixteen lands or something. And I believe you've played that list. Locally, haven't you, Andrew? Yeah, I played it for one or two weeks. And and did you like the way that it played? Not really. I mean, but I don't like Delver decks, so I'm kind of biased. <laughs> so uh, the reason I chose to play uh, the Delver deck was I, I noticed from the team event and kind of just the legacy format as a whole, uh, there's a weakness to the card price of progress right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, would, you, would you guys agree to that? <laughs> People are paying the price right now. Uh, if people are shocking themselves as well, it also helps additionally. Yes. Uh, so uh, if it's cool with you, I'm going to go over a little bit of... I got my turn report wrote, wrote, kind of written down quick hand of what happened. Uh, and we can discuss. Uh, there's, I think, two matchups I want to focus on. One from a learning perspective and one from a, uh, a perspective of making fun of one of our friends. Go for so, it. Uh, Sounds great. So I got there, and I was going to – Daniel Humphreys actually brought me Burn to play because I wanted to price people. But uh, not playing Brainstorm terrified me because uh, it's a crutch. So I decided to play Blue Red Delver. <music> then we went to Slotsky's Deli and had sandwiches. Nice. That's a, that's that's that good local uh, local chain. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, the $8 burgers and, uh, and the, what, $6 soda zard and quencher thirst at the uh, SCG event. I paid $10 <laughs> for a shit hot dog and a Gatorade. So no. Oh, it's it's even worse trade now. <laughs> what'd you, what'd you, John, what would you get at Schlotzky's? Oh, they had like this uh, chicken smoked cheesy. It's very good. It's like this really super cheesy, a lot of chicken sandwich, and I got like the salt and vinegar fries or chips. It, I mean, it was it was really good. Yeah. I love Slotsky's. I've never eaten it before. Yeah, There's I think you'd like it. Hip, hip chick trio now going on. If anyone wants to go to Slotsky's near you, it's quite the deal. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There, or you can get the double. So like, I think Josh got some. Macaroni and cheese brisket with some kind of panini sandwich or something. It was pretty. I'm going, I'm going through the menu right now. A lot of this looks like <laughs> dude, it's really like, good. This is this on, has sold me. It's a little on the expensive side, but you pay for quality. Can we assume that the roast beef is a step above Arby's? I mean, why does everyone dog Arby's? It's fucking great. Arby's is fucking great, dude. I love Arby's. Well, actually, I think Arby's has stepped it up recently. So, like, what? Eight years ago? I think I think Arby's was the bottom of the barrel. Uh, they've recently had quite a resurgence in, like, you know, You're just their sliding, advertising and marketing. Sliding Arby's for eight years ago. Yeah, don't try eight. and dig yourself out of this, Josh. Eight years ago, Arby's was roughly the same. It was always good. You're a fucking hater, and you're trying to get out of it now. No. Eight years ago, Subway had a pedophile as a spokesman. So, what's the difference? And we still eat the sandwiches. Yeah, and it still tastes like. I ate food. more. I ate more of those sandwiches when they had a pedophile as a spokesperson. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's more Subways than any other fast food restaurant in the world. Yeah, and they suck and they're expensive. It's so bad. It's actual dog food, man. Yeah. Uh, what they've been taken for lawsuits for like what eleven, ten and a half inch subs. Uh, not even foot long, a complete lie. I'll give you a ten and a half foot foot sub. <laughs> oh, <that's all. laughs> yeah. So, the t- for for the take for my takeaway from this event, what I saw, it may not show in the results, but guys, there's a lot a lot of death and taxes, and obviously Griggs is Delbert. The death and taxes was also everywhere. I'm fucking tired of that deck too. Oh, yeah. Quick story, I, uh, local local Ravens Nest player, Matt, uh, Matt Riggs, he kind of shows up to the monthlies and plays at the Axis every once in a while. I was playing against a guy on Jund. Matt Riggs, they, they trade boards back and forth. Matt Riggs slams the card Mirror Crusader. He's like, oh, this is good. I, I got a chance here. The Jund player smiles. He untaps, land, slams Bloodbraid. The first card he flips over is Liliana the Pale. Sack your mirror crusader, take three. <laughs> Matt Riggs was so depressed. I, I pulled out a piece of paper and I wrote that play down to remind him next time I see him. <laughs> hey, I know, I know that this deck kind of gets a bad reputation because it's also kind of derp, derpy, but Red Black Reanimator. I do kind of have a soft spot for Reanimator. And I've noticed lately that some of the sideboards are no longer playing that third color. And they're playing Lake of the Dead and Grave Titans. How do you like? How do y'all feel about that? So they're just trying to go through and actually hard cast Grave Titans at that point. I guess or, uh, or uh, Grizzlebrand. Yeah. So hmm. so I, I can tell you where that that uh, piece of quote technology comes from. Yeah, yeah. I've seen the other build of, of yeah. uh, you know the the hybrid deck or whatever, but I've seen Reanimator decks adopting the strategy as well. Yeah, I, I'm not. I don't know. I, I've never been a fan of like 
blue-black reanimator playing the card show-and-tell, or if you're playing a, sh a shit combo deck, just play your shit combo deck, you know? Take your take your beats when you lose the guy that just slams rest in peace and you don't have the hate to get rid of it. It, it seems also to me like, regardless, like, sure, you get your reanimate forest or something like that. I mean, you're just going to get your fucking creature forest and you just went through a whole cycle of, like, eliminating three cards from your hand. Now, like, I guess maybe you're playing around. I mean, someone who's smart as well isn't going to let you get off without, like, a flusterstorm in the hand or even a spell pierce. Yeah, they're not going to count, like, count the actual creature. But, I mean, anyone, like, worth their salt's understanding what's happening at that point. I mean, they can't. So, they I can't mean, can't you're just, like, eliminating more cards out of your hand for no fucking reason. Well, you, you, the, the, the deck isn't about card equity or, or card advantage or anything. It's, it's, it's pure power, you know. They're willing to trade seven cards to just crap out whatever dumpster fire card they have in their deck, you know. So, you know, they're fine trading three or four cards if that one card they resolve wins the game, you know. Yeah, certainly. But what are you playing around? I guess you're playing around rest in peace, containment priest, uh, surgicals. I mean, surgical is an all-time high at the moment. Like just like that, there's people main decking edict effects because of the amount of the depths player. You know, but hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know. I I think having hard castable threats in your reanimator deck is is very uh very good. Very good. <clears throat> So I don't know. I just wonder how long. I wonder how viable that kind of strategy is in Reanimator. How long will it take someone to use Lake of the Dead and Dark Ritual to cast their creature and it not be countered? So is one of the creatures Phyrexian Obliterator out of the sideboard? Because I feel like I've seen that from somewhere. I saw or one no Storm. I've seen a Storm list actually have that where they had two to three Obliterators in the sideboard, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah. It, I think Obliterator takes like the spot of a card like Empty where. Your opponent obviously not going to have removal. You just want to clock him as fast as possible. But uh, going on wrapping up uh, on this on this event, I think the biggest takeaway is the fact that Grixis Delfer is the new go-to grinder deck, uh, and it is also extremely powerful. And that something like lands needs to be on your radar if you're going to a larger legacy tournament in the future. Uh, even though this podcast well, lands for the top tables. You're not going to run into many lands players there, but the, those who are efficient with the deck should probably be, you know, making it through the ranks if you're going to be getting to the top 32, top 16. Well, well, where else would our listeners be? I mean, we are the premier legacy <laughs> podcast. They're going to be at the top tables, Josh. You know. And also, you know, we're kind of generalizing too because this is the southeast and like there's probably a, a higher concentration of lands in the northeast. That's kind of the lands mecca. Yeah, yeah, like I don't know. I, I I expect at the next legacy tournament we go to, which is the quarterly, uh, I'm going to predict that there will be a lands. Uh, I'll, I'll generalize it: a deck of loam or merit lage in the top eight. Yeah. So, but uh, wrapping this off, uh, wrapping this up, uh, you guys, what are your final thoughts going forward for the the legacy format for the next? Next big event. What what is your one takeaway that you're going in, going into this event that you want our listeners to know? I'll, I'll go first there. Um, I mean, we've already kind of touched on it, but just be able to beat Grixis Delver and be able to beat Lands, 
And I think what that means right now is punish mana bases. Whether it's play Blood Moon or play or play a deck that can recur Wasteland, it seems right now that you want to be punishing mana bases. Yeah, that's reasonable. Uh, I agree with that sentiment. Um, along those lines, no, actually that's that's pretty reasonable to say altogether. Um, if you're land, if you can hate on land bases that are sketchy across the board, you're also going to be picking up those lands players. You're going to be picking up the Grixis Delver players. Um, maybe for these larger events, you know, everyone's already packing th- like two to three surgicals minimum, probably in their sideboards for this red black reanimator decks. Uh, I don't know how much longer it's going to stay around, like we were talking about. But I mean, it's a consistent enough. Like if you're going to be doing these team events, uh, it's a cheap deck. You're going to see it a bunch. And I think the thing I'm taking in to these tournaments is is be competent and confident with whatever deck you choose, as any other Magic game, but especially in Legacy, know know your deck and know your matchups. If if you expect to play Grixis Delver multiple times in the event, you know understand where you need to be in that matchup. Know where you want to be, and. Uh, and I think that, that we all expect to see a lot of Chris's Delver going forward. So, yeah. uh, so uh, we're going to go ahead and close off the cast. This is John Jansen, uh, followed with Andrew Wright and Goblin Josh Thornton. Uh, <laughs> thanks for listening. Bye.
Roger fell and left his living in a cheap hotel. The desert's quiet, Cleveland's cold, and so the story ends. We're told. I don't need your prayers, it's true. Save a few for left it too. He only did what he had to do. And now he's growing old. 